Alrighty. Anybody losing sleep over your Revelation final exam? No? All right. All right. No? Good. You will. Here we go. All right. All right. Number one. Chapter one comes with a special blessing that no one other book orders. Good. So blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it for the time is near. For those of you who are new, I'm a school teacher, so I can't help it. I just have to ask questions. Number two. Chapter one describes John's vision of of Christ. Remember that chapter one was was the whole description of John's vision of Christ. Number two, number three, chapter two and three include the seven letters to the. There you go. Good. All right. Now here comes the hard one. You know, you've been shaking and trembling. All right. The church is in order. All right. So we have ESP, TSP and L. Right. And the first E was Ephesus. And then the first S is Smyrna. Nice. Okay. And the first P, Pergamus. T, that's an easy one. All right. Second S, Sardis. Good. Second P, oh yeah, that's us, right? And then the L would be? Excellent. Nicely done. All right. Number five. The location of chapter four was the blank room of God. What room? Throne room. That's right. Okay. Number five. There, John 24 elders. And these elders represented the 12 Old Testament patriarchs and the New and the 12 New Testament apostles. Number seven, combining all 24 elders, there's a representation of all of God's people. That's right. So that's, that's what we see in heaven. Um, number eight, the harpazo, when Jesus calls his people to come up hither, is also known as the rapture. Good. All right. Number nine, John also, also saw four living creatures. Number ten, the focus of chapter 5, uh-oh, we're going through, chapter 5, was the scroll with seven seals. seals. That's right. Now, the, remember that scroll with the seven seals, it was the title deed to the planet Earth. All right? That's what Jesus bought. And so that's what, as he's opening those seals, he's taking that title deed back. Number 11, in chapter 6, we saw the first seals opened. The first four seals released a colored horse and a specific rider. That's right. Okay. Number 12, when the first seal opened, riding the white horse was who? Antichrist. Number 13, with the second seal opened, the red horse rider was? Oh, not yet. War. That's right. Think red war. Number 14, when the third seal opened, the black horse rider was? After a war, we have famine. All right. All right. And now... With the fourth seal open and the ugly horse rider with who? There you go. All right. All right. So we got that one. All right. 16. We also learned that Revelation chapter 6 through 19 is essentially an elaboration of the great tribulation. There we go. Number 17. This is described during the 70th week of Daniel found at the end of chapter 9. There we go. Number 18. During the first half of the 70th week, there will be a false... Okay, that you know what that works, and and I would probably give you credit for that, all right. But the, the answer we're looking for is a false peace, okay? Peace and safety then comes some, some destruction, and so this peace is orchestrated by the Antichrist. And after three and a half years, he sets himself up to be God or worship. See, I would give you that as long as you didn't capitalize the G, all right, all right. 
And so after this piece is orchestrated by the Antichrist, after three and a half years, he sets himself up to be worshipped, and literally all H-E double hockey sticks breaks loose on earth. Number 20, then after the fifth seal, under the altar, John saw the what clothed in white robes? No. The saints, or we would call them martyrs, right? And these, uh, the, the martyrs were clothed in white robes. 21, finally, after the sixth seal, sixth seal, there were catastrophic judgments, including a great... That's right. Number 22, the sun became black as sackcloth. Number 23, the moon became like... Blood, nice. 24, and the stars fell to earth as the fig tree drops its late figs. In chapter 7, we saw how many children of Israel sealed with the name of God on their foreheads. 144,000, there you go. And number 26, the book of Revelation is based on a heptatic structure. Heptatic meaning seven, yeah, seven. So John describes the breaking of the six six seals, and then there was a pause. That's what last chapter was. In this case, it was one chapter pause, and now the seventh seal will will be opened. Nicely done. All right? Give yourselves a hand. All right? Okay. Okay, yeah, I'm good with that. <laughs> well, you know, all the answers are in the back of the book anyway, right? Yeah. Yeah. All right. righty. So, John describes the breaking of the six, six seals, and then there was a pause, and that was what we covered last chapter, and then the seventh seal is going to be opened. And then, once the seventh seal is open, we're going to read about six trumpets. All right, so we'll go from... The, the seventh seal to the six trumpets. And then we're going to see a, a really long pause. In fact, that pause is chapters 10, 11, 12, 13, and 14. Um, and then once the seventh trumpet is sounded, we'll learn about six bowls. Then there'll be a very tiny pause. And then the seventh bowl. So really understanding this hypnotic structure helps us to understand the architecture uh, of, or structure of the rest of the book. And, you know, a lot of times it's like people read Revelations. Oh, it makes no sense. Well, that's because you don't know how it's designed. You don't know how its architecture is. And so once you have that hypnotic piece down, uh, it makes it a whole lot, uh, whole lot easier. All right? So as we're turning our Bibles to chapter 8 of Revelation, we need to remember who this letter is being written to. And, you know, it's really easy for, for us to forget the context of the letter. And we easily get caught up in the prophetic aspect of the letter. But remember, back in 19, or 19, in 96 AD, Christians of the day, they're getting picked on, beat up. They're getting persecuted. They were getting fed to the lions. They were getting crucified upside down. They were being lit up as candles by the hands of the Roman Empire. They, they, they had a lot, of, a lot of stress going on in their lives. So these people under heavy-handed Roman rule, they had no power, no prestige, no prominence. They felt like they were nothing. And I'm sure they wondered if they even had a prayer. And John wants to write to them to explain to them and to remind them that they did. Let's pray. Father God, we love you. We thank you for this evening and the opportunity to study your word. We ask, Father, that as we begin to learn about what will come to those who don't have a relationship with Jesus? That, that this understanding will only fuel our passion of sharing your love with others, of explaining how much you love them and what you've done for them. 
that uh, it would just it would become second nature to share uh, the gospel with with everyone. So Lord, we just ask for understanding. Sink your word deep in our hearts, Father. We love you. We praise you. And in Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. All right. So tonight, chapter eight. When he had opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about a half an hour. And I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and to them were giving seven trumpets. Then another angel, having a golden censer, came and stood at the altar. He was giving much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar, which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints ascended before God from the angel's hand. Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and threw it to the earth. And there were noises, thunderings, lightnings, and an earthquake. So the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound. The first angel sounded, and hail and fire followed, mingled with blood, and they were thrown to the earth. And a third of the trees were burned up, and all green grass was burned up. Then the second angel sounded, and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea, and a third of the sea became blood, and a third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. Then the third angel sounded, and a great star fell from heaven, burning like a torch, and it, felt, and it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters became Wormwood. Many And many men died from the water because it was made bitter. Then the fourth angel sounded, and a third of the sun was struck, a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, so that a third of them were darkened. A third of the day did not shine, and likewise the night. And I looked, and I heard an angel flying through the midst of heaven, saying with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth, because of the remaining blast of the trumpet of the, new, of the three angels, who are about to sound. Wow, heavy duty. Uh, lots going on, but it's nothing compared to what's going to go on. And we'll talk about that. So let's jump in. Revelation 8, verse 1. When he opened the seventh seal. So chapter 8 opens with the announcement that the seventh seal is open. And at this point, the narrative is resumed. In other words, John just continues to describe what he's seeing. And although this seal is it's simply introduced, it is the most important development to this point. Because contained in just the seventh seal are all the subsequent developments that are going to happen leading to the second coming of Jesus Christ. And this includes seven trumpets and seven bulls. And so we'll, we'll look at all of this as we go. There was silence in heaven for about half an hour. So verse 1 describes about a half hour, hour of silence. Now, a half hour silence is not long if we're talking, you know, about eternity. But if I started uh, being silent here for 10 minutes, it would seem like eternity. Feel this. Don't you just feel anxious? Don't you like, come on, dude, say something, right? And just imagine, I mean, God has heaven silent for about a half hour. 
Can you imagine just what it felt like? And so, you know, talk about an awkward silence. That's huge. We're, we're just not used to it. Since heaven, since heaven is a, a place of constant praise and worship, silence for a half hour would feel like a really long time. I believe that God asked the angels and the elders to be silent so that the prayers of the martyrs that we read about in Revelation 6, 9 through 11, uh, can be the focus. And if we think back to the fifth seal, Revelation um, 6, 9 through 11 says, uh, When he had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord? Holy and true until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth. And so the martyrs are praying. They're they're, they're asking, how long, O Lord, until you judge and avenge? And you know the good news is is that they didn't have to wait long. Verse 2, And I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. You know, in the Old Testament, Trumpets had a variety of uses. You know, they, they were used to call for an assembly of God's people. They sounded the alarm for war. They threw the enemy into a panic. They are used here as God's battle alarm during the Great Tribulation. Okay, so the, the trumpets are huge. Remember, we said that harps and trumpets or guitars and trumpets are the instruments that are found in heaven. Well, here, here's our jazz instrument here. Then another angel, having a golden censer, came and stood at the altar, and he was given much incense that he should offer it with the prayer on the golden altar, which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints ascended before God from the angel's hand. Now, a censer is a vessel in which incense was presented on the golden altar before the Lord in the temple. And so the priests filled the censer, and you can see it here. The, uh, the uh, hot coals would go in the bottom. Um, the priests would carry the whole censer into the sanctuary, and then he would place the incense right on those coals, and it would send up this cloud of smoke, and this cloud of smoke would fill the sanctuary with, with not only the smoke visually, but the fragrance, the smell. And uh, the prayer that causes silence throughout heaven, it says here, is mixed which with much incense. You know, there's really nothing said about the particular incense here. So if you dig around, you can find out that the Lord speaks to Moses about the incense in Exodus uh, 30, 34 through 38. He says, And the Lord said to Moses, Take sweet spices, stacte, onike, and galbanum, and pure frankincense. Good, I can pronounce one out of the four. With these sweet spices, there shall be equal amounts of each, and you shall make of these an incense, a compound according to the art of the perfumer, salted, pure, and holy. And you shall beat it some of it very fine, and put some of it before the testimony in the tabernacle of meeting, where I will meet with you. It shall be mostly holy to you, but as for the incense which you shall make, you shall not make any for yourselves according to its composition." It shall be to you holy for the Lord. Whoever makes any like it to smell it, he shall be cut off from his people. So this 
combination, this mixture of spices, makes this incense that's considered to be so holy that the people of Israel were forbidden to use it for any common purpose, not even just to find out what it smells like. And so it only had one purpose. You know, as you read, prayer and incense are often connected in the Bible. And and the idea is just as incense is precious, pleasant, and it drifts to heaven, so do our prayers. Psalm 141.2, David wrote, he says, Lord, I cry out to you, make haste to me. Give ear to my voice when I cry out to you. Lift my prayer, or let my prayer be set before you as incense. The lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. I just love that. Hebrews 7.25 says that Jesus Christ, our high priest, ever lives to make intercession for the saints. In other words, the incense of Jesus' intercession on our behalf sweetens our prayers. You know, that's why it's okay that our prayers aren't eloquent or perfect. They, we can be ourselves when we pray because Jesus fixes them for us. Right? That's why we shouldn't be concerned about how they sound. Jesus knows our hearts. He perfumes our clumsy prayers through his intercessory ministry. And so here, before anything happens at the beginning of the seventh seal, the prayers of God's people come before the Lord God. And you know what? He answers them. What does he do? Verse 5. Then the angel took the censer and he filled it from, with fire from the altar and threw it to the earth. And there were noises, thunderings, lightnings, and an earthquake. So the angel takes his censer of prayer, perfumed with intercession, and he throws it back to the earth. And as the answer re-enters earth's atmosphere, the whole world is shaken. So these people who are being beat up and persecuted are told through this prophecy that their prayers are being heard. No doubt about it. And that in due time, the answer will shake their world, figuratively and literally. Verse 6, so the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound. What is the answer? What was that answer that was sent back? And, you know, and I'm sure as they read this, it was music to their ears of the persecuted because as first, first century believers, they studied their scriptures and their scriptures were Old Testament. And when they read about trumpets, guess what? It was really good news. All right, trumpets are a good thing. All right, think about what we know about trumpets. The blast of seven trumpets, we can read how those trumpets preceded the collapse of the walls in Jericho in Joshua 6. We can read how the alarms of two trumpets reminded the children of Israel that the Lord would bring them victory in Numbers 10.9. We can read, finally, the sound of the trumpet signaled the year of Jubilee in which all debts were canceled and all slaves were set free. Hallelujah. You know, while my girls were growing up, um, Julie and I would try to teach them about finances. And so, you know, we would have them work, and then we would give them an allowance. And we wanted to teach them, you know, the importance of tithing and saving and planning. And so we'd give them their cash, and then they would divvy up their allowance and then they decided on what they wanted to spend their limited discretionary income on, right? And as, as kids, first it was on Barbies and toys. And then pretty soon it was clothes and shoes. And then when they started driving, 
it was gas, tires, and insurance, right? And when they couldn't afford something like tires, you know, we would loan them money because, you know, we, they couldn't afford to buy it, but we didn't want them driving around on bald tires. And so, you know, we would, we would loan them and then they would pay us back a little at a time, a little at a time, right? Obviously, they could never really pay off the loans and obviously we really never expected them to. We just wanted them to learn the reality of living within a budget. And so they learned it. But just about the time that they would feel like they were buried in debt and there was just nothing we could do, we would institute a family year of Jubilee where all of the debts were canceled and all the slaves were set free. Right? And I don't think we sounded like a trumpet, but the girls got really excited when they heard. You know, just imagine the feeling, you know, being under that, that weight of debt and all of a sudden it just being gone. And uh, I'm pretty sure that the girls prayed for a family year of Jubilee. You know, as I read scripture, there's lots of prayers in the Bible. And Luke 1 has a very special one. And, uh, but you have to read it really closely and it, and it teaches us something pretty special. We don't even know the actual wording of the prayer. We just know that it happened. But it, I consider it to be a special one because though it was made in secret, it had such an amazing outcome. And in fact, the whole opening of Jesus' ministry depended on it. In Luke chapter 1, we read the prayer of Zacharias and Elizabeth for a child. They're the parents of John the Baptist. And Zacharias and Elizabeth were barren and past childbearing years. Yet we were going to see that God remembered their prayer in secret, but answered it openly, but in his timing. Zook, Zook, that's good. Luke 1, 5 through 7 reads, There was in the days of Herod, the the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah, His wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well advanced in years. So back in the day, barrenness was considered a curse. So everybody just figured that Zacharias and Elizabeth were, con- you know, they, they, were, they were sinful. They had some hidden, a hidden sin that was keeping them from having, from having kids. And although we read here that God had deemed them righteous, others believed that there was something that, that wasn't right. And so at this point, I'm thinking Zach and Liz are pretty bummed about not being able to have kids. And I'm sure they prayed hard for a child. And I'm sure that they, they ached over that. But... After a while, they just figured it wasn't to be. And so in verse 8, so it was that while he was serving as priest before God in the order of his division, according to the custom of the priesthood, his lot fell to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. And the whole multitude of the people was praying outside at the hour of incense. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zechariah saw him, he was troubled, and fear fell upon him. Verse 13, But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. So, 
while Zacharias was taking his turn ministering before the Lord, the angel Gabriel shows up and he gives him some really good news. He says, for your prayer has been heard and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you're going to give him the name John. And it is in Zacharias's reaction that we come to understand how hurt he was. Because he and Elizabeth had evidently prayed so long and so hard that not only were they past past childbearing, but also past expecting an answer. It had been that long. So Zacharias replied to Gabriel in verse 18. He goes, how shall I know this for certain? For I'm an old man and my wife is advanced in years. You know, that sounds like a reasonable question. And I always used to wonder why Zacharias was rebuked for this question. And he was struck dumb. We'll talk about that until the child was born. But yet Mary, on the other hand, asked something very similar at her announcement. And, and, you know, she says, how can this be since I'm a virgin? And she was only given assurance. The difference deals with revealing the deep places of the heart. Gabriel nails Zach. He says in verse 20, And behold, you shall be silent and unable to speak until the day when these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which shall be fulfilled in their proper time. Zacharias had not only given up, he was in disbelief. His heart was sore, bitter, It was hard. I don't want to put words in his mouth, but I can almost hear him saying, oh, yeah, sure, you know, you come around now and it's it's a little too late, you know, to tell us that our prayer is answered. You know, where were you when we still cared and where were you when we were still young enough to have children and and enjoy them, right? A little late now. Can't you just hear that? Well, so being struck dumb was actually a big punishment from God, you think? No, not really, because... God is in forever in the business of healing and restoration. And that's what's going to go on right now because that's what he does. God uses the time that uh, awaiting John's birth to bring both healing and restoration to Zacharias. How do we know? Well, because the first thing that he said when he could speak, he says his name is John. That was in direct agreement with what he heard from, from the angel. And the next words in verse 64 that we read about a healed heart, he, and at the, once and at once his mouth was open and his tongue loosed, and he began he began to speak in praise of God. So secretly for years he'd been he'd been disappointed, uh, but now publicly he praised God. Further in in verses 67 through 79. His joy erupted as he explained the beautiful prophecy about the destiny of of his son John and and the part that he would play in announcing the coming of the Messiah. And so this prayer of Zacharias and Elizabeth holds an encouragement and hope for all of us who have prayed in secret. Family, when God doesn't answer your prayers as you expect, don't get mad, don't get sore, don't get bitter, Don't harden your heart. Okay? Trust God. Family, trust Him with everything. He loves us and only wants the very best for us. And He knows what's the very best for us. Zach and Liz prayed and asked for a child, and they were given John the Baptist. (laughs) Quite an investment. Right? He was the forerunner for the Savior of the world. That's amazing. And that is why, family, I keep reminding you, of Jeremiah 33.3. 3. 
Call to me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. Don't get impatient. All right? We're just waiting on the Lord. All right? So family, remember, every time we pray, we have our Heavenly Father's full and undivided attention. He's listening. Amen? Amen. Alrighty, back to Revelation 8. Verse 7, Then the first angel sounded, and hail and fire followed, mingled with blood, and they were thrown to the earth. And a third of the trees were burned up, and all green grass was burned up. So this first judgment seems to be directed at, at uh, vegetation, at plants. And how will this happen? Well, you know, you can read about uh, nuclear war, fallout, pollution, meteors. I mean, the list goes on. And all of these ideas are interesting and possible, but they should never obscure the essential truth is that God brings the judgment. All right? It's not nature taking its course. All right? And, oh, it just happens. God may use whatever method he desires to bring judgment, but people on earth know that these events are from God and do not think them to be merely natural disasters. I mean, just remember what happened beginning of chapter 4 when millions of Christians disappeared. Right? People know God is at work on this planet. It's very possible that these trumpet judgments describe what could happen in a nuclear holocaust. It just makes sense. There are a minimum of nine countries that presently have nuclear weapon systems uh, that we know of, and many working towards developing one, although they may deny such efforts. Right? Um, during nuclear testing in the Pacific, detonations of nuclear warheads caused 250-mile-per-hour winds of fire. I'm talking about taking out some trees. Right? The explosion sent water thousands of feet into the air where it froze, and returned as hailstones big enough to destroy the equipment that was supposed to monitor it. Okay, so could it happen that way? Sure it can. doesn't really matter how it happens. We just know that it's going to happen. We know that God's going to use whatever method he desires to bring judgment, and this judgment, as great as it is, I mean, when you think about it, is only the introduction. There are six more trumpets to sound. Remember with the seals, the first four, they all came on horses, right? And we said that the first four were like a package deal, and then the next three were a little different. And so the first four trumpets also form a little special package deal. So see if you can figure it out as we move along. Then the second angel sounded, and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea, and a third of the sea became blood, and a third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. Now, John carefully says that this is not an actual mountain. He uses, you know, like. Okay? Um, but it is a blazing mass as large as a mountain, maybe a meteor. Um, we don't really know. Researchers today say that this sort of phenomenon has, has happened before. And there were great ecological upheaval um, and, and consequences. Uh, here, we just know that the result is a third of the living creatures in the sea die. And a third of the ships were destroyed. And that, that, that the water turns to blood. And, and a, a third of the sea became blood. And, and so this blood may be either the cause or the effect. Of, of what has happened here. We don't really know. 
Uh, I looked it up. In 2012, there were reported 103,204 ocean-going ships in existence. I'll let you do the math, but that's a lot of boats. Many people will contend that these judgments are all allegories and not to be taken literally. Um, It's a real interesting study to compare the trumpet judgments here with the plagues that we read in Exodus 7 through 12. And the question is, were the plagues allegorical or, or were they literal? And all I say is, ask Pharaoh. Right? Then the third angel sounded, and a great star fell from heaven, burning like a torch, and it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters became Wormwood, and many men died from the water because it was made bitter. Now, we can easily associate this with a comet or a meteor crashing into the earth and and bring uh, ecological disaster. Um, Verse 11 includes the name of the star being Wormwood. That's kind of a weird name. The the, the word Wormwood is mentioned here uh, in the New Testament, only here, but it appears eight times in the Old Testament. And each time it's associated with something being bitter or poisonous or having to do with death. And so wormwood was a well-known bitter herb in biblical times. And so by naming this star wormwood, uh, we're told that its effect was to embitter the waters of the earth so much that it became undrinkable. And we read here that it, it wasn't a matter of simply a bitter taste, but it actually become poisonous. Um, just imagine if drinking water is unavailable to a third of the earth's population. It's it's really easy to see how chaos and terror will result. Okay, If we just wait a, wait a couple more months through the summer, that's what we're going to have here in Southern California, the way our water is going. Right? It, 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 it could be chaotic very quickly. Humans can only survive a couple days without water, and, and the inhabitants of the affected areas are going to be so desperate as to actually drink the poison water, causing the death of thousands, if not millions of people. In... Um, in 1993, I went on a missions trip to Russia, and uh, it was kind of cool. We, we sent a team of about, oh gosh, 14, 15 people, and the goal was to go and teach kids English using the Bible. And it, so it was a sweet time. Um, we, the, the students, the actual students, were, were uh, children of high-end government officials. And so it was really interesting to hear their questions. And one of the questions that they had was they knew that Wormwood was in Scripture. The word Chernobyl translates very close to Wormwood. And so that was their question was, did you know their Chernobyl, which in 1986 the nuclear reactor failed because somebody turned off the alarms anyway. And, and so they wanted to know if we thought uh, that there was a connection between the two. I just thought it was interesting that, that uh, I mean, we told them we didn't think so because it's been, you know, so many years since it had happened and, and that they, I don't think they had to worry about it. Lo and behold, it sounds that the, the, the translation actually of Chernobyl is different than the word that translates into Wormwood. So um, it, it was a kind of null and void. But on the other hand, it was really cool that they were interested in that. 
Verse 12, then the fourth angel sounded and a third of the sun was struck and a third of the moon and a third of the stars so that a third of them were darkened. A third of the day did not shine and likewise the night. Now, this does not describe a one third lessening of light. You know, if you've ever been outside during an eclipse, right, and the moon goes across the sun and the and, and the light levels kind of dim and it's kind of eerie and it's kind of cool. And don't look at the sun when the moon's in front of it. That's not what's happening here. Okay, it says a third of the day and night are plunged into absolute darkness. As Jesus said in Matthew 24:29, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. You know, if this was part of a nuclear exchange, scientists believe that uh, if there was um, a nuclear exchange during the summertime, that there'd be enough particulate matter in the in the sky that the high temperature on the west coast would be 15 degrees Fahrenheit, so it'd get a little cool. Right? That's that's how much of the, the UV and infrared rays would be filtered by by the particulate matter. Alrighty, so we went through the first four trumpets. Did you catch the special package deal? All four had something to do with a third. Yeah, they did take out a third of everything. But uh, these first four trumpets attack all of the ordinary means of survival. So things like nature. Okay, so when we talk about trees and water and oceans. Um, uh, all of this uh, is attacked. And, and, you know, he also um, uh, attacks by the ordinary means of what we understand as comfort. You know, our lives are so linear. So just imagine if, if the light levels changed and, uh, uh, you know, the, the regular rhythm of days, that would just throw everybody off. You know, man has come to see these aspects of the created order uh, as impersonal, perpetual forces that are going to work no matter what. You know, the sun goes up, the sun goes down, the moon comes up, the moon goes down, and all of that just happens. But during the Great Tribulation, God's going to pro- proclaim his lordship through their disruption. He's going to show them that he's in control. They just don't happen. We know the great humility that comes upon men in, in the midst of something like an earthquake, right? I mean... There's nothing like an earthquake to make you feel powerless, right? All of a sudden, everything's moving, and as much as you want it to stop, it won't. I have a geology friend. His name is Pat, and uh, he was at our house one day, and uh, the earth started shaking, and our house started rumbling, and he dropped to his knees and started pounding on the ground, saying, come on, baby, come on. He, he wanted to experience it. He's a geologist. Right, so, so I said, Pat, stop that. Get up. What did I tell you? With these first four trumpets, that effect is going to be multiplied immediately. And these first four trumpets also reveal the mercy of God's judgment. Uh, these are partial judgments, striking only a third, right? And these are meant to warn and lead a rebellious world to repentance before the final curtain. Because for now, God spares more than he smites. God spares more than he smites. He's still a merciful God. Verse 13. And I looked and I heard an angel flying through the midst of heaven saying with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth because of the remaining blasts of the trumpet of the three angels who are about to sound. 
And you know what? The, the angel's woes are well-founded because one-third of the earth's population will die in the next three trumpets. Okay? It's going to be, it's going to get heavy. The first four trumpets are not only judgments in themselves, but they're warnings for the last three judgments, which will be far more severe in character. John records that he both beheld and heard the loud voice of the angel pronouncing a triple woe. So he heard it and he felt it. Um, The first four trumpets deal with the arena of the natural. The last three trumpets deal with the supernatural, specifically demonic activity. It's interesting, on Thursday, Richard and I, we were having a conversation about... um, there's a, a literary term in which when words are used more than once in a row and um, it, there's a poetical term and what it does, it means that for each time that you use the word, it gets more and more severe. So, you know, you think of big, bigger, biggest and that's what's happening here is woe, woe and woe, right? And that's what we're going to see. So, Buckle your seatbelts. All right. All right. This week, my challenge for you, my challenge for you is to pray expectantly. Uh, We talked about Hebrews 7.25 that says Jesus is our high priest and he ever lives to make intercession for us. In other words, that incense of Jesus' intercession sweetens our prayers. And so our prayers don't have to be eloquent or perfect. We shouldn't be concerned about how they sound. We just need to be concerned about spending the time with the Lord. Jesus knows our hearts and he perfumes our prayers with his intercessory ministry. So that remember when we pray, we have God's undivided attention. And and so as you're praying this week, expect God to answer your prayers, recognizing that they may not be answered as you expect or when you expect, but only better. Amen? Amen. Amen. Jesus said in Matthew 11:28 through 30, he says, Come to me, all you who are labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Tonight, if you personally don't have the assurance of eternal life uh, with Jesus, a relationship with the loving Lord, and if you would like that, and if you would like to swap burdens with him, Come chat with me after service. I'd love to make the introductions. Let's pray. Father God, we love you and we thank you for this evening. We thank you for the opportunity to study your word. Father, we continue to ask for your guidance for this church. We continue to call on you and we look forward to hearing your answers and showing us great and mighty things which we do not know. We love you. We praise you, and in Jesus' name we pray, amen.